pastor here at Vintage, and there are a lot of things going on this summer, obviously, for our youth and for our children, and um, we're excited about what, the, what God is doing in the midst of all of those, and I encourage you to connect with those. If you are a first-time guest at Vintage, I want to say welcome, and we'll apologize at the same time, because we're going to take a, just a couple minutes this morning, and I want to uh, kind of do a financial catch up on where we are. A lot of you, how many of you opened up your financial email sent out this week? Yeah, most of you. Okay, great. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight again, it's one of those things, one thing reading in an email, another thing talking about it face to face. And so this morning, I want to take just a couple of minutes before I dive into dive into the word of God this morning to uh, kind of just give you a highlight of where we are, what's going on, how you can pray and what you can do. So I sent you in the email. This is four points that I put in this email. You can go put those up, Josh. Number one, our budget through March 31st was a little over $156,000. Our income, mathematicians can figure this out pretty quick, right? Our income through March 31st, 2015 was one twenty-eight five hundred, dollars meaning we were $27,500 short through the first quarter of 2015. Tack on the extra $10,000 that we were short on income in April puts us at a total of 37,500 short through the first four months of 2015. So that's not great, right? That's not great. Um, and, and so we're freaking out. I'm just kidding. We're not. No, listen, we're not this. We don't believe the sky is falling. We're not freaking out. It's just a reality that this is not good. Right. Uh, and I want you to have a comparison. I put it in the email, too. But as, as a comparison to this time last year, an income of one fifty two eight, which would have put us just about, you know, three thousand five hundred short or whatever that, that number would have been. OK. And so all that to say, when we came into this year, we took our budget and we slashed it. I mean, we spent we spent time like literally a half of a day going through every single dime and penny that was going out right in every single area cutting and moving and arguing and wrestling and ultimately came to we we cut out a huge chunk from from our previous year budget coming into this year and thought hey we're going to be doing well and and the reality is our our giving as you can tell is down from from 158 152.8 to 128.5 through the same period of time this year right and so people are going what's going on steve and to be completely honest with you we really have no idea Right. It's not like we're sitting here going. I, I, we really have no idea what's going on. It's like, you know, one of the questions, you know, one of the things is, um, you know, well, does God hate you? But, and so he's not giving you money. And we really don't think that's the case. If we're wrong, please tell us. But we really don't think that we're in sin and disobedience. We really think we're being great stewards of our finances. We're doing a, a really good job of giving money out. Uh, we do know, just theologically speaking, a lot of times when, when God pulls back financially or pulls back in any area of our life, it's for one simple purpose, to draw us into him, right, into trusting him and, and to believe him. And so, hey, we're in a place of need right now. And so, so that's what we're doing. We're praying and believing. We are doing our part. Like, so we talked about all these summer events and we talked about the fundraisers. This is the first fundraiser that our children and youth would have ever done. They're doing it together, which I think is really cool. And the idea is honestly to fund their summer activities. It's going to go towards the children's summer camp. It's going to go towards part of what we're doing for, for the youth summer camp and for the youth activities of summer so they can actually do the things that we believe that they need to do to reach our youth. But we recognize, hey, financially, we can't undergird that like we could have in the past. And so 
We need to do our part and do a fundraiser. One of the hard things for me in this is that there are things that we can't do right now because of where we are financially. We had an opportunity to, to expand. Like, we're going to move, just so you all know, we're going to move the community room from here to here so we can create more space for our children. It's not costing us any money. Our landlord's paying for it. So we're just basically taking this room and moving it over. They're building it out and that kind of stuff. Not costing us a dime. And then they're going to expand over. We're trying to be good neighbors also. So the preschool wanted to move over. So we're like, hey, that'd be great. And we'll just move over there. It's good. Taekwondo, Kung Fu guys moving over there, right? But we also have the opportunity to expand even from that to create a space that would have been much more conducive for our youth to meet in on Sundays, much more conducive for our women's and men's Bible studies, much more conducive for children being do some really cool stuff. And we had to say, just as good stewardship, we just can't do it. Right? We just cannot take that extra step and move, and that's okay, but it's stuff that we can't do. And so what I'm getting at is for the first time at Vintage, there are things where it's like, oh, as much as we would like to take that step, we just can't. And so one of the things, and you can put the next slide up, Josh, one thing is, is this. We just want you to know what's going on. We told you going, coming into this year, we realized over the last couple of years, we probably didn't do a great job of, of just communicating where we were and communicating needs. I had people say to me, my gosh, Steve, we were $60,000 short last year. I wish we had known. And so part of what we're doing in sharing this is we just think the family needs to know what's going on. Right. We just want you to be in the know. We're not. Listen, the sky is not falling. We're not chicken little. The sky is not falling. Right. We we have finances in the bank. We God provided in advance. And so we we have funds. You can read that in your email. Like, listen, we are able to we're able to go for a period of time. If if we're ten thousand dollars short a month. That's a lot of money for the entire year. It's kind of like, isn't like $120,000 for the year that we're short? That's just not great either, right? That was quick math right there on the fly. Be proud of me. And so that's just a need, right? And we recognize that we can't keep on doing that. If we, if we do, then we're going to have to do something drastic. And so what we're coming to is number, number two is we're asking you to pray, right? We're asking you to pray. In these moments of need... We the 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 dumb thing to do is to go stick our heads in the sand and say, it's going to be OK. It's going to be OK. Right now, we need just to go pray like, God, we are in need. We need you to provide and we're going to come together as one and we're going to be one unified voice saying, God, we're asking that you would provide for our needs. And the third part of it, right, is that we're asking that you give. Now, here's the thing about giving. And I want to just do a a quick piece on this. Biblically speaking, from Genesis to Revelation, one thing is clear. The expectation of, of God upon the disciples of God is that they are tithing. That they are giving their finances into the body or into the family that they are a part of. And there are two words. There's a word called tithe and there's a word called offering throughout Scripture. Like, I'm not making this up because I need to get money for vintage. I'm just telling you, it's in the it's talk in Scripture. There's an expectation. When you become a disciple of Jesus, that you are taking of your finances and tithe 10% of your income is going towards the body or to the, to the, 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 the warehouse, right? The warehouse in Malachi, right? This giving into the storehouse, the warehouse, right? That you're giving into the body that you're a part of. And on top of that, there's another word called offering, And the offering is then what you give to missionaries or people in ministry or those that are in need. And they're two different words. There's a tithe and there's an offering. 
The tithe is the 10% that you're giving to the body that you were a part of. And the offering is what you are giving in obedience to God above and beyond that. And at Vintage, I think that you know we encourage both. And some people say, well, Steve, 10%, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. So I would say this, then we're asking that you be obedient by giving what you can give. You say, Steve, man, we're at a difficult place and we can give like 3%. Then praise God. If that's what he's calling you to give in obedience to this tithe, then you give what you can give. And if you're good with Jesus, then we're good with you. I'm good with you. So we're asking this moment that you say, all right, because listen, people are like, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot to give my tithe this month. Well, that impacts us. Right. And so I just want to encourage you and I want to ask this own this with us. This isn't our problem. It's not my problem to deal with, right? It's a vintage-wide problem, right? I mean, you say you want to be part of family, and being part of family means that when this type of stuff happens, you take it personally. Don't look at me going, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'll say, what are you going to do? Right? Because we're family. We're one big church. We're together as a people. And so don't get frustrated at me that money's not coming in. I'm giving them above and beyond them our tithes and offerings. I mean, just to kind of pat myself on the shoulder. No, 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 we're doing our part. And I'm just asking that we come alongside and say, what is God calling you to do to do your part? One, he's calling you to pray. We're praying. I'm not praying, oh, Jesus, we're struggling so bad. Oh, my gosh, Jesus, you hate us. Where are you? Right? I'm not doing that. I'm saying, Jesus, we're asking you to give. I'm asking God, you're asking, I'm just praying, God, would you, would you provide, not for our wants. Like, that's, that's, the, that's not right. We're praying that you provide for our needs. And the beautiful piece, guys, is this, and you know this, biblically speaking. It is, a, it is a tenet of the faith. When you are faithful with your finances to give as God calls you to give, he is faithful to meet all of your needs. He is not going to meet your wants. He doesn't care if you have a brand new car or a brand new jet, right? Sometimes you can get a used car. But he will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And so as we are faithful at Vintage to own this as the family and to give as needed, I'm not freaking out. The sky is not falling. I just recognize, hey, we're going to communicate our need and God's going to move and provide through each of us, including myself, including all of our staff, and including you. Okay? You all good with that? You feel manipulated and like I've just hit you over the head and told you you're all bad? I hope not, all right? So I'm just asking you to give. I would love to come back and, like, listen, my prayer is in three months I come back to you and we don't have a deficit anymore. Can I get an amen? All right, let's move on. It's enough of that. Thank you. Actually, let's just pray. Let's do this real quick. Let's pray together real quick over that. I'm going to pray up here. Will you pray? Pretend like I'm not praying and just pray yourself and you pray your own prayer provision. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray out loud if you want to also. I don't really care. Uh, But I just want you to pray alongside. Seriously, I want to put you to pray alongside with me that God would provide according to the needs that we have at Vintage. Okay, so let's pray. Father, you are good. You are faithful. Father God, we come at a place of need. We come at a place of desperation, desperation that we know we can't do without you, Father. But we know that in those moments you provide. And so, God, we come 
and we acknowledge your faithfulness. God, that's our focus this morning. Our focus is not on our despair. Our focus is on your faithfulness. And Father, we praise you for the testimony of vintage over the years that you were always faithful, that you always provide, you always meet all of our needs. And so, Father, we praise you this morning for your provision. We praise you in advance for the way that you move in power. And we praise you, Father God, for your faithfulness. And we say, Jesus, we come. You see our need. You're not caught off guard. You're not surprised. But it is a felt need, and we do feel it because, God, it is impacting us. And, Father, we pray in this moment, one, that we feel the conviction to lean into you, to trust you, to not despair of life. Because that's just not of you. What is of you is to have faith, to lean into you, to have hope and to trust. And we do those things this morning where we are not doing that. Father God, lead us into it this morning, because God, we want to tell the story of God at every turn of how in our moment of desperation, you moved. And so, Father, we thank you. And we do ask specifically that, God, you would provide for all of our needs. Father God, you see how short we are. And I'm asking, it's going to be on the podcast, Jesus, that within three months, our deficit would be met. Holy Spirit, I'm not twisting your arm. I'm just coming in belief and faith in you. And God, I believe that pleases you. We all said, amen. All right, thank you for praying. All right, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Starting in verse 36, going to verse 50. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, going to verse 50. One of the Pharisees. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat, said, Jesus, will you come eat with me? And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet who could know all things, right? He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And then Jesus said, Jesus answered, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, mm, I guess... So the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt, he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, the woman here. Woman here, what I want you to see is there are three characters. You have the primary character, Jesus, and you have two who have encountered him. Everybody say encounter. This is a really important word. 
If you want to get a kind of a word outside of the Bible this morning, thing I was praying into this morning and then yet in, in this week of what God is doing, I believe God is saying, I want you all to hear this. He's saying, I want to move you from where you are to a greater revelation and knowledge of me. I want to move you from where you are to a deeper understanding of who I am. I want to move you from where you are to a deeper place with me. I want to move. There's a movement that God wants. Listen, there's a movement that God is wanting to do in you right now like there is a stirring in the spirit i sense it with every part of my being i sense it when i pray over our finances i sense it when i pray over into our future i sense it in my spirit when i pray over what god is doing in your life i believe god is saying we're all asleep but he is saying wake up because i want to move you from where you have been to a greater awakening to the glory and the majesty and the understanding of who he is i want to move in greater power and greater knowledge of Jesus, there's a great stirring happening if we would simply encounter and be awakened to it. Okay? So encounter's a really big word. That movement from here to here begins. It, it happens because we encounter Jesus. We, we see Jesus, and when we see Jesus, what happens? We automatically, without even trying to, move towards Him because we want to get closer. When we encounter Jesus... We want to move closer. So there's a story of encounter. Two characters. We have the woman, right? The woman is probably a prostitute. When when that phrase is used, a sinner, it usually means she's in some level of prostitution. We don't know what type of prostitution. The temple prostitution. Is it just on the side of the street corner prostitution? We have no idea. But she's probably a prostitute, probably because she's living in poverty, probably because she's just trying to make it and provide for someone in her family, right? But she's selling her body. She's probably a prostitute left unnamed by Luke to guard her privacy. There are two stories in Scripture of of a woman coming in, one being Mary, and this one right here. This is not Mary. There are two stories in the Bible, one over here of this woman and one of Mary doing the same thing. They are two separate stories. This is not Mary. This is some woman. We don't know who she is. Luke has left her unnamed, probably to guard her privacy. We don't really know. But she was, listen, the whole town knew her as a sinner. Remember those small towns that had the town drunk and you all knew him by name? She's the town prostitute. Right. This is who she is. Next thing we see is Simon. Simon is a Pharisee. Simon is one of the most this most common and prevalent names of the day and age. Right. And he was a Pharisee. He was outwardly good. He was upright. He was a religious man. He strived to keep the law of Moses. I mean, you talk about somebody who wanted to church. He tied 10 percent every week. Right. That's what he did. He tied he, up right up here. He tied every week. He never missed attendance at synagogue. He prayed three times every day. He's a great church member. Right. Everything door opens, he's there, he's serving, he's giving himself, it's a beautiful peace, right? And he is a well-respected religious leader who saw Jesus, probably intrigued by him, and wanted to have him to dinner just to kind of check him out. Who is this guy? He's got a following. He's doing some crazy things, right? Let's bring him into the house and figure out who he is. Crazy Jesus, right? Bringing him in, just trying to figure out who he is. Wanted to be around him, wanted to watch him. And so you had these two characters. And what we see in these two individuals are contrasting views of Jesus. Simon has a very measured and tame 
and disconnected relationship sees him and says, oh, there's crazy Jesus. Let's bring him in and figure out all these things, right? Let's hey, right? And the woman who, listen, who having already, listen, she did not come in this moment to receive forgiveness. She had already experienced Jesus and she wants to now come and show gratitude. She is already, listen, she's already experienced forgiveness. She's already experienced the love of Jesus. She's already experienced movement. She says, oh, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to come in and I want to, I want to come in the moment, right? She's already experienced incredibly deep and powerful moving work of God's spirit. And she wants to now come and extravagantly express her love to Jesus, not giving a rip who she is around or who she is watching. How do I know this? Because no one comes and expresses the type of extravagant love that she expresses unless they've experienced forgiveness and that level of extravagant love. You can't come and give that type of love unless you've already experienced it, which she has. Every, every book I read, every theologian said the same thing. No one can show this type of love unless they've already experienced it. It wasn't, listen, she didn't come to earn something. He said, your faith is the thing that brings you peace. I've already forgiven you. She's expressing that love and the gratitude in the moment. We see two individuals, one measured, tamed, and disconnected. Does that sound like many churches you've ever been a part of? Does that maybe sound a little bit like your life? If you're completely honest, you tell stories about experiencing God 30 years ago of being a part of discipleship 30 years ago of being disciple. But have you made any disciples? Have you sacrificed anything in your life? Have you actually in this week expressed some deep love and affection to Jesus that literally moved your emotions? Or has it been more tame, disconnected? We see this here in the moment. And my question in the moment of the story, who would you rather be, a Pharisee or a prostitute? Luke's probably, he's telling the story saying, you should choose prostitute. Because she is the heroine in this story. She is the one whom this story is about. He is glorifying it. You know what I mean in that, right? He is lifting the prostitute saying, she's the one who gets it. And the Pharisee does not. Who would you rather be in the story? The Pharisee or the prostitute? The good church member or the one who so radically experienced the extravagant love of Jesus that you don't give a rip of anybody around you. All you want to do is let Jesus know how much you love him. You don't mind being like David, who became undignified, dancing in his white, whitey tidies before the Ark of the Covenant, not caring who was around him. There's an encounter that when it happens, it moves us from tame to extravagance. And my question is, are you satisfied with tame? And I would say from my experience of the most of the church in America is they prefer tame and like to talk about extravagance. They prefer tame with their lifestyle, but they'll just talk about extravagance. And God is coming this morning saying, I want to move you from here. 
to hear. I want to awaken something that causes extravagance. I want you to see me. I want you to experience my beauty. One thing David asked of the Lord, the only thing he sought, he could dwell in the house of the Lord forever, gaze upon his beauty and meditate on his goodness. Psalm 27, 4. Encounter. Contrasting. I want you to see three contrasts this morning between, between in this story. Number one, the contrast one. A woman expresses deep love and affection for Jesus. The woman, the prostitute, expresses deep love and affection for Jesus. Simon doesn't even express the fullness of cultural hospitality. We see it in verse 37 through 38, 44 through 46, right? Three things represent a cultural norm when cultural norm and coming into a Jewish home. Number one, having feet washed. Walking through dirty stuff, got to come in and cleanse it. Number two, you're greeted with a kiss. Number three, anoint your head with oil. It was not a requirement to offer these three things. Right? It was not a requirement to offer these three things. Number one, having your feet washed, greet with a kiss, anointed head with oil. It was not a requirement of someone who, who you, you didn't have to do it. Someone came into your house, but, but, but it definitely was a sign of great honor and respect and affection. And so Jesus walks in and Simon doesn't offer any of these three things that would have been a sign of honoring his guest, of respecting his guest and showing love and affection to his guest. On the flip side, what happens with the woman? Woman, listen, why does she come into the house? How does how does she get let into the house? Well, there was this in the Jewish culture. If there was someone in poverty and a banquet of, of this sort were happening, they were allowed to come into the house and wait for the scraps to be or to wait for the leftovers. And then they could eat of the leftovers. And so she comes to the door, hides her flask of, uh, of ointment, whatever it is, perfume. And she's, oh, my poverty, would you please let me in? You know what the cult, you know what our, our Jewish law is. And I'm in poverty and I want the leftovers. And she's like, oh, fine, prostitute. And she comes walking in right under shame. What if when someone like that walks into a room, what does everybody do? No matter how saved they are. Looks at them like this, right? Oh, oh my gosh, that person over there. It's the sinner, right? That's what we do. Whether we mean to or not, it just happens. We give them to go. And we just like we didn't see them. I hope they didn't see us, see them, so we wouldn't look awkward not looking at them again, right? She walks in. Everyone's looking at her. And she gets in. What happens? She becomes so, listen, this is my favorite word. You hear me say all the time, undone. She becomes so undone because she sees Jesus and the memory of the moment that he forgave her and released her. All of a sudden, it's like she's moved from here to here and in the movement. Her love for Jesus has grown her extravagance and her love for Jesus. She can't help but express it in the 
fullness of the moment. She says, oh, and she comes over and she well, she cleanses his her his feet with her tears. She lets down, not caring of the cultural norm, lets her hair down, begins to wash Jesus's feet with her hair and begins to kiss his feet. She sees him. And love and affection overwhelms her. He sees Jesus, and it's just disconnect. Same old, same old. Contrast number two, the woman experienced forgiveness of sin, and Simon didn't even know he was in sin. The woman experienced forgiveness of sin, and Simon didn't even know he was in sin. Town prostitute, her her actions preceded her when she came in the door. Even Jesus says in verse 47 that her sins were many, but this woman has already experienced forgiveness. She isn't coming to receive forgiveness. She is coming, we already said it, to express gratitude for the forgiveness she's already received. And somewhere before this moment, right, she heard the good news. One thing is clear. This is on the screen. A person can only express the type of love she expressed when they've experienced the type of love only Jesus can give. A person can only express the type of love she expressed when they have experienced the type of love only Jesus can give. Remember, she wasn't trying to earn something from Jesus. She was she was expressing gratitude for what she had received. I love it. Jesus told a story of people who, who had who had debt. He forgave both. And he asked Simon, which of these two will love more? The one who was forgiven most, or the one who was forgiven least. And Simon answered correctly by saying the one who was forgiven more. The one who's aware. Listen, the person has been forgiven more. Fifty thousand dollars worth of 50 bucks. If I came and said, hey, Eileen. I forgive you of your $50,000 debt to me. Or Jason, I'll forgive you 50 bucks. Which one's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Eileen. Right? Because it's, it, the, it's a greater weight. It's a greater gravity. It's a greater heaviness in our lives, right? And she's aware of the weight. And in this moment, there's this forgiveness. But he's even unaware of his 50 bucks. He's unaware. He's unaware. He's unaware. At the moment of even the need for forgiveness, meaning in the moment, his love is small because he has no idea who Jesus is, what he can do, and even what he needs Jesus to do. The third contrast is simple. The woman encounters Jesus and she goes in peace. Simon has missed his encounter and doesn't have peace. Jesus in verse 50 says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's crazy. Town prostitute, always ridiculed to the king of all kings saying, hey, I give you peace. I don't give as the world gives. I give holy peace. You can go in the freedom from the guilt of your many sins. To the degree that she has experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, we are told, is the degree to which she expressed her love to Jesus. She experienced the gravity of her sin and in turn felt the gravity and the weight of forgiveness. Simply stated, she was loved much and her response was to love Jesus much. 
Now, regarding Simon, Bible actually is actually is silent. We don't know if he went in peace or not, but we have to assume that he did not because he had no idea that he even needed peace from Jesus. He had no idea what Jesus could even do and what he was expecting Jesus to do. Right? He had no idea. Instead, we see him being challenged by his lack of faith, challenged in his blindness to his own sin. And he is compared negatively to a prostitute who is the heroine of the story. This is not a good moment for Simon. This is not. Jesus goes, ah, prostitute wins. You lose. (laughs) Right. That's what's happening in the moment. Our takeaways are simple in the moment. The deeper our knowledge of Jesus' love and forgiveness, the greater our extravagance of love will be for Him. The deeper our knowledge of Jesus' love and forgiveness, the greater our extravagance of love will be for Him. In the story, love for Jesus, this love she had for Jesus came as a response to God's love forgiveness and grace. She comes into the presence of Jesus and she cannot contain it. She just begins to intuitively begin to weep. She begins to to weep before Jesus. She begins to experience literally physically experience the weight of Jesus's nearness. And she again is undone. She had to express a love back. It was equal or as best she could equal to Jesus' love given to her. Takeaway number two is real simple. Don't be like Simon. Don't be like Simon. Simon was unaware of his sin. He was unaware of his brokenness. He thought, listen, this is probably a better phrase. He thought everything was fine. He thought everything was fine with he and Jesus. How are you and Jesus? Jesus, man, Jesus is just all right with me, right? He's my friend. He's my buddy. We hang out all day long. He meets all my needs, right? Jesus and he were not okay. Simon could have known his love. He just, listen, he could have experienced the same grace and forgiveness and expressed the same level of extravagance of love for Jesus. He just needed to be aware of his sin, needed to be aware of his need for Jesus. How the self-righteous Sarah's Pharisee sees no need to repent because he thinks he has done nothing wrong. He thinks that he and Jesus are fine. He has no sense of the power of forgiveness or the mission of what Jesus is trying to do in his own life. Listen on the screen. As followers of Jesus, we must live what is called an examined life, a life of self-awareness or listen, a life of self-reflection that every day we must know what is God doing in my life? Where is God moving? What is God speaking? And I'm adding, what does my response need to be? As if every day, Scott named it several weeks ago and he spoke, as if every day I walk up to a mirror with Jesus and in the mirror he shows me myself and then he replays like a television screen everything that went on in that day, every single one of my actions, not under condemnation and guilt, not under the weight of condemnation, him saying, I want to put my finger on this and give you victory in that area. I want to name this area of your life and brother, sister, we can 
move from this if you encounter me to this. And then you're going to extravagantly express love. But if we don't live with a self-examined life where we're self-aware of what's going on, with a spirit of self-revelation of God, what are you revealing in my life of sin, of brokenness, of growth areas? If you're, uh, listen, if you have no idea what God is doing in your life right now, where He is moving, what He is speaking, and what He has for you, then you're more, listen, not trying to be mean, but we're more like Simon. We're just unaware. You and Jesus are buddies. You make time for Him on the fly. And He says, encounter me. Let me make you aware of where I am what I'm doing, where I'm moving, what I want to say, and where I'm taking you. Steve, you don't know what's going on in my life right now. I just have so much going on. Do you think Jesus doesn't know that? Do you think, he looks and he says, oh, I'm going to give you grace for a period of time to not be aware of your sin, to be aware of your brokenness. I'm going to give you a break. That's okay that you did that yesterday. It won't be okay. No, sin is sin is sin. Brokenness is brokenness is brokenness. And a lack of awareness is lack of awareness is lack of awareness. And no matter if he says, you're dying and I want to heal you. Then he wants to take you from here to here. Steve, I, I'm, I'm so busy. He wants to take you from busyness to peace. Well, Steve, I'm in sin. Then he wants to take you from your sin to forgiveness, wholeness. And whatever this is to hear is always requiring an encounter, which requires a Jesus, you were Lord and you were holy. You have loved me because every moment from here to here is the fullness of God's love poured out in power, seeing his beauty and his majesty. And we go, oh, Jesus. You cannot be the same Christian tomorrow that you were today. That's not how discipleship works. Third thing. Third takeaway. Our peace in Christ is found in the knowledge of His forgiveness and His love for us. I love that. Our peace in Christ is found in the knowledge of His forgiveness and His love for us. See, listen, moments of tension, of struggle, of distractions that present themselves either lead us to faith or they lead us to despair. There's no other, there's no other choices. Distractions in our life, stuff going on either leads us to despair. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Oh, whatever it is. Or they lead us to faith in Christ. God is in control. Our financial situation either leads us to despair or to faith in Christ. Our peace in Christ is found in the knowledge that He forgives and His love because He is always faithful. The interesting thing about the life of a Christian, this is, this is kind of a little bit deep. It's so the first grade, put your thinking caps on. The life of a believer, in some ways, is a paradox. It seems like two different things at the same time. One of them is this. I have to always live aware of my sin. I have to always live aware of my brokenness. 
always have to live aware of where of of how far Adam fall from, how, how far he is that right? How far he fell from fell from, right? How far he fall from, right? No, how far he fell from. I have to see how far Adam fell. That's a better way of saying it. I have to live aware of how far Adam fell. I have to, I have to be aware of sin. The enemy crouching at my door like a roaring lion seeking me to devour. I have to live aware of my sin at all times. And in a sense, like I'm focusing and aware of it. The paradox is at the same time, I have to live aware of the forgiveness of Jesus of the breakthrough and the abundant life that says you no longer are a slave to the law of sin and you are now free from that. So let's now focus on the abundant life and not make your life focused on sin. It's a paradox, isn't it? I always live aware of sin and its place in my life and the work of the enemy. And I always live aware of the movement of God that I no longer have to be aware all the time of sin because he's given me victory. See the paradox? So what I'd say is this, this morning for us. Our peace in Christ is found in knowledge of forgiveness and love, right? Look at that as I say it, okay? The testimony here of this woman is that she was very aware of her sin. She was very aware of where she came from. She was very aware of what she had been saved from. She was very aware that at any moment she could make a bad decision and end back up over here But I tell you this morning, by God, what she did, by God's grace. She focused on the abundant life that Jesus had given her and she walked away in peace. Aware of where she came from and praising God she wasn't there and recognizing she could always fall back into it. But she focused her energies on the extravagant love of Jesus, his forgiveness, the freedom that she gave and the peace that he gave. That's the paradox for being a Christian. I am always aware, but I focus on life. Our peace in Christ is found in the knowledge of his forgiveness, awareness of it, but focused on the love and the life found in Jesus. God wants to move you because he's moving vintage and you are vintage. I sense it as if I more than I, like, you know how when you've been in the water and it's really dark and all of a sudden you're coming up from the deeper parts and you can, and you know, you're getting close to as you get the light begins to get really bright. We were in prayer this morning and I'm like, God, and all of a sudden he does. I saw it was like this much, this much, y'all. It was just this much from here to here that the encounter was bringing a breakthrough that God was bringing. There's an encounter that he is bringing to vintage that leads us from here. There's a breakthrough that's coming, a movement of his spirit, right? As sent through every fabric of fabric of my being, he is moving us from here. He's moving us to here. He's doing it in your life. And I'll say this. It's not like on a Sunday morning, all of a sudden wind blows through. We're like, oh, there we are. No, he does it in your individual life. And we find ourselves all of us sudden all being moved by the river of God's spirit to a new place of breakthrough of awareness of his spirit a new level of forgiveness and we know it happens because we express an extravagant love like every good prostitute did who met Jesus you are the prostitute whether you like it or not don't be Simon Stop being Pharisees who are fine with a tame relationship with an untamable God. Somebody say amen and wake up. Let's pray.
Father, this morning, we have to be moved. We cannot be Christians and not be moving towards you. We literally can't be Christians, call ourselves Christians, and not be moved by you. I pray, Father God, this morning that you would pour out your spirit. That you would bring encounter, you'd bring an awakening. Father God, I pray this morning, even as I've talked and named, that you would have put your finger, self-awareness, self-revelation on these things, God, that you are wanting to do with everything inside of you. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and do this work this morning. Ministry teams, you can go ahead and come this morning. We're going to go into a time of worship and a time of prayer. Guys, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you to interact with Jesus. I'm asking you, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you to say, God, where are you? What are you doing? What level of awareness? God, have I experienced this forgiveness? Am I, am I living in the awareness and the understanding of the movement of your spirit to bring breakthrough? God, am I, am I aware there? Am I, am I too tame in my view of you? God, I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't thought about you. Jesus, there has to be this movement. I'm not living under condemnation. I'm living under the weight of awakening that God says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. I want to shine on you. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. I want to pour myself out upon you. Awaken. I want to move those of you who feel like you're dying. I want to pour out my spirit into your life. Those who need healing, I want to bring healing. Those who need forgiveness, I want to bring forgiveness. I want to come in the fullness. I'm asking you to respond in some way this morning. Jesus, would you move in our lives? Would you move in this area of breakthrough? Father, we invite you to come and do this work in Jesus' name. As always.